Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you here. I hope you do stop by and talk with Pastor Michael about getting into a circle where you can know each other's name, pray for each other, trust each other with the scriptures, you know, that we can help live the Christian life together. It's time to get together. And we're starting the series called Belong because it's time to gather up. It's time to, to, to get out of isolation and get back into true belonging, true relationship. So we're going to start this series uh, looking at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And that's found in the Gospel of John chapter 4. So I encourage you to open your Bibles and navigate up to John chapter 4. And I'm just going to read the first part of that story today. I'm going to read verses 5 to 13. And as we open up the scriptures, let's open up our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Lord, there are so many things that we carry into worship on our hearts today. So many images, so much distress great and ponderous and terrible. We pray for the people of Afghanistan, for those who are seeking mercy and help, for the people of Haiti. Lord, we pray for all those things. And we ask that you would lift up and nourish your church wherever it is meeting right now, that your spirit would be with your church, that your church would be bringing life to the people around them. And and for us, Jesus, look down on your children with mercy and help us to remove every obstacle and to hear your living word speaking to us so that we can feed on your word in truth and serve you in a broken world. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. 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 John 4, we're at verse 5. So he, that came, that's Jesus. So he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was at about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This is God's word. We're grateful. Amen. I want to talk to you today, as we begin this series called Belong, I want to talk to you, the message of the, the title of the message today is Lonely, Lonely. I want to talk to you about being lonely. As we begin a series called Belong, about coming together, 
we need to recognize at first that there's something called loneliness. And what do we do with that feeling? What do we do with it? What do we do about it? Some people um, don't mind being alone. Some people like being alone for a while. Um, one of the chief parenting techniques out there is the forward command, go to your room, right? Any parents get there? You got there in your parenting? It's like, this is it. Go to your room. Kids, you ever heard that? You ever hear that one? I heard it a lot when I was growing up, I tell you. Now, um, that can kind of rest on different kids in a different way. We've got four kids in our family, and so that meant our house was sometimes pretty loud, pretty rambunctious, a lot of action, and we've got extroverts and we've got introverts. Now, you tell an extrovert, go to your room. You may as well have said, we're throwing you to the sharks. I mean, there is screaming, there's crying, no, not my room. And he closed the door in two minutes. It's all it can take. But you tell somebody else in our house, now you go to your room and you close that door and don't come out. And the response you get, fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to lock the door. You just don't let anybody in here and call me when dinner's ready, right? It rests on different people differently. But you know what? We're not made to be alone. We're made to be together. God made us to gather up in true belonging, true community. We have a longing to belong. What we like to say here, you heard it in the, in the movie, the little video there, but we like to say here, solitude, is, can be, solitude can be a blessing, but alone is no good. Alone is no good. And you know what? You can be alone in a crowded room. Alone is no good. God made you for something more. Before there was a COVID pandemic, there was a loneliness epidemic. 2018, the United Kingdom appointed a minister of loneliness to address rising social isolation and loneliness in the UK. In 2017, the U.S. Surgeon General published an article in the Harvard Business Review claiming that there's a loneliness epidemic in the United States. He said that rates of loneliness are double what they were just a generation ago. A survey in 1985 asked, how many friends do you have that you can confide in? And in 1985, they said the the number of confidants that they had was 2.9. In 2004, they asked the same question, and people said, well, the amount of people that I can confide in is 2.0 on average. And, And now it's even worse than that. It's going down and down and down. Now, what's someone that you can, you know, who's that .9 confidant? I don't know. Well, who's that guy? That's the guy you can tell, you know, you can tell nine things, but you're not going to tell him that tenth thing. No way. I don't trust him with that, that tenth thing. But it's getting worse. The insurance company Cigna actually got involved because loneliness will impact your life expectancy and your health care. So, you, I mean, you know it's something if they're involved, Right? And so they start doing their own surveys, and here's what they find. They find with every generation, there's rising loneliness, that social isolation is rising with every generational shift. In fact, generationally, we're losing connection. Social isolation for ages 18 to 22 is 20% higher than those over 72. It's, the younger you are, the lonelier you feel right now. 
and it impacts your health. They say that statistically, it impacts your life expectancy. Loneliness will actually lead you to shave years off your life. In fact, loneliness, social isolation, has statistically the same effect on your life expectancy as smoking 15 cigarettes every day. And they say statistically that loneliness will shorten your life expectancy to the same degree as obesity. So that leads to the natural conclusion, doesn't it? It's better to eat cake in church than to eat kale alone. <laughs> right? You with me? I'm not a medical doctor, but I, but I think you knew that already. That's what I think. I think you knew it already. Friends, nothing, nothing hurts quite like loneliness, really. And what we want to do is we want to talk about getting back together. Loneliness is on the rise and it's hurting people even before COVID. And, and engaged in this, uh, this series, I want you to know there's a challenge in this. And I want to say this. Uh, you know, this is our service where we're also gathering at home. And what I want to say is this. I want to say this really carefully. If you're at home, you, there's, there's COVID, there's Delta variant, there's all kinds of reasons to be at home. But there's, a, there's also a challenge that we're issuing with this series, and it's this. It's time to gather up. And it, if you need to be alone, I don't want you to feel any pressure. I want you to be where you are and know that we're not leaving anyone behind as a church. We're going to be with you. But here's what I want to say, church. I want you to know this. Across our hall in the sanctuary, we're up to 75 80% of attendance of what we had before COVID. And in this side of the house, it's more like 50%. So here's what I want to say about that. Because i got to issue a challenge. It, it is different to be here together. It's different to worship together and to risk being face-to-face -face with others. But here's the other thing. Because some of us, we're, we're getting into a new pattern. It's like, it's okay, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine from a distance. Here's the challenge. What about your neighbor? Because I know you're not inviting your neighbor into your living room, folks. I know you're not. And so at some point, it isn't just about how am I doing? It's about how's my neighbor doing? Because they're hurting. There's a loneliness epidemic. Suicides are on the rise. Despair is running rampant. The world is coming apart at the seams. And so we've got to issue this challenge. At some point, we've got to say, look, I've got to bring someone to church. Every empty seat in this hall represents a kid who's alone, represents a person who can't find a foundation, represents a family who can't find a grounds for staying together in love and needs the grace of Jesus. I want us to feel that challenge, church. Loneliness, it's killing us. Now, we were made for something else. God made us for something else. We need to be together. We need to gather. We need to belong. Our desire for independence is really strong, but our need to be together is even stronger. That's why an infant cries until it's picked up and cradled in its arms, right? And kids, they love to run in groups, and they love to know who their, their BFF is, their best friend. Kids, when you're saying your prayers tonight, you need to say your prayers, and you need to thank God for that best friend, right? Because they're special. They're a gift. They're a special gift in your life. We need one another. It's still the case that solitary confinement is the most horrific punishment that can be meted out to somebody. And it is still true that when you tell a kid to go to their room, they cry. They do. Oh, I'll make them cry. You know that's true. When we get sick, 
when we get hurt, when we're near to death, we don't want to be alone. We were made for belonging. We were made for something more. Let's learn to belong. Okay, the Samaritan woman, she came to draw water in the middle of the day. We learn a lot more about her story as we go on. We're going to read the whole story, but today we're just at that first moment where she came to the well at noon. And, and what was she? She was alone, and she was lonely, and Jesus showed up. Verse 4 says, now he had, had to go through Samaria, and then where we picked up, verse 5, so Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about, what time was it? Noon, yeah. Now, this is a real place. It's a real well. It's still there. You can go see it. This is Jacob's well. And, and if you learn about it, you'll learn that Jacob dug a well, it dug a pretty deep well, in a region where actually some springs and some streams were fairly nearby, geographically. But he dug this deep well. And you've got to ask why. Well, if you read into it, you learn Jacob dug that well because he couldn't get along with his neighbors. And his neighbors couldn't get along with him. They couldn't rely on one another. I want you just to put that in the back of your mind. That Jesus, 2,000 years later, shows up on this day at Jacob's isolation well. And it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman, verse 7, came to draw near, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Why was she there at noon? Now, the Middle East is not um, a cool place, temperature-wise, right? And drawing water is not an easy job. And with no running water into your home, going and getting water from the water source was a daily task and a needed occurrence. And so it was a job that always got assigned to slaves and to women and to children. And so what did they do? In that culture and other cultures, the same thing happens. Well, they would go together. And they would go in the cool of the day at the morning or the cool of the day in the evening. And they would make a point to go together. Why? So they could get a little bit of break from their, the rest of their stressful lives. They could connect with each other. They could tell a few stories, get the pressure off, maybe tell a joke, you know? Anybody got a joke? And, and, and connect and socialize. Well, not this woman. We learn a lot about her stories. We read on and we can speculate. But for this woman, for some reason or other, Going to the well and kind of socializing with others, that was not her deal. She went out in the heat of the day at noon so she could guarantee that she would not intersect with another living soul alone, lonely. Jesus turns up and orders a drink. How many times have you heard that in a sermon? I'll take one. Now, it's not strange for someone to ask for water in the middle of a hot day. But what is strange is for this man to ask for help from this woman. Why? Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Or another way to put that, Jews and Samaritans, they don't share cups. They don't share cups. A little history. The Jews and the Samaritans, they came, they descended from the same people. And uh, when the Babylonians came and they attacked Jerusalem, they sacked the city of Jerusalem and they took all the residents of the city and all the leadership class of the Jewish people away into exile in Babylon. This was about 600 years before the day that we're reading about right now. And when they did that, well, there were people left behind and they were left behind in the countryside. And the Samaritans are people who were left behind and they had grown up as the people of God and they remembered some of that, but as they continued on generation after generation, they started intermixing with the local religion. Religion. They started intermixing and intermarrying with the local people. They started changing their, their ways. In fact, they, they built a temple of their own. They said, we can't get to the temple in Jerusalem. So they built a temple of their own on Mount Gerizim, and they kind of practiced their own religion they had put together from the, the false gods of, of the local region. When the Jews came back from exile, they destroyed that temple, and they rejected the Samaritans. They said, you guys are religiously impure. You are morally impure. You are racially impure. Jews and Samaritans don't share cups. Now let's stop right there. Where have you in your own life drawn lines of distinction to maybe make yourself feel superior to someone else? It's a cutting question. Everywhere that we draw a line of distinction to make ourselves feel better than the one who's in front of us, we raise a barrier and we increase isolation. I want to tell you this story, although it's, it's rather sensitive. But I prayed about it, and I decided, yes, the Lord wanted me to tell this. A few years ago, a friend came to me, and he said, Tim, I want to, um, I want to unburden myself. And, um, and he, he came to me and said, I want you to know, uh, when I was a young man, I was a homosexual. He was uh, abused as a child. He left his home at age 18. And he said, for four years, I lived in the city, separated from my family, living a promiscuous gay lifestyle. And at the time, uh, he's married, expecting a child. His wife is pregnant. And he said, I want to unburden this. I want to unburden myself. So we sat. We told the whole story. Tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, tell me everything that you want to tell me. And we cried and we prayed. And at the end of that time together, we got up, and I just gave him a big hug. He came back to me a few weeks later, and he said, Tim, um, do you remember a few weeks ago when I told you my story? Do you remember? Like, I was like, yeah, <laughs> I do, man. He said, I want you to know there was a lot of healing. I felt a lot of healing that day. And not just in, in telling you everything, but I felt a lot of healing in the hug that you gave me. He said, you see, 
Every time I've told that story to a man up until now, after I'm finished, it has seemed like they're afraid to even touch me. To even touch me. Where are the lines that are being drawn that separate us out and trap us in isolation? Is there one that you could step across? Jews and Samaritans, they don't, they don't share cups. Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus elevates the conversation to another plane, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you had the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now we'll get back to this, but what I want you in your Bible notes to know is that that phrase living water is not so spiritual as you think. That was, that was just the way that people on that day talked about running water. Like we say running water, which also makes no sense, right? I mean, so living water was just, it was just, it was just the way that they talked about water that's running down the track, okay? But Jesus does mean something else, and we'll get to that. Now, Jesus needed her to get the water for him. Why? Well, his disciples had run off to Walmart. <laughs> See, I mean, it says right, if they, had, if they had been members at Costco, they would have been stocked up. <laughs> but they didn't, weren't members at Costco. They had to run to Walmart. And so Jesus was there, left behind, and Jesus was helpless. He's got no bucket. The woman's quick to point this out. Rather snarkily, actually, isn't she? Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? Have you ever heard somebody say, sir, and they don't mean sir? <laughs> you ever had that experience? <laughs> sir, you have nothing. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? She, she has no idea who she's talking to. We know who she's talking to. But can you imagine saying to Jesus, the son of the living God, Jesus standing in front of you, Jesus who could, who could make water come out of your ears. I mean, Jesus who could, who could make a cloud form over his own glass and just fill it with 12 inches of water with ice. I mean, Jesus can, you know, and she says, oh, Jesus, you have nothing. Well, you know what? He had nothing to draw with. And she was right, the well was deep. It is deep. It's 100 feet deep. Jesus had nothing. Jesus was helpless. Jesus came to that woman that day helpless. Helpless. And isn't that how Jesus came to earth? The Son of Man who came down and took on flesh and became a helpless babe, submitted himself in a broken world to the tender mercies of others. Philippians says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but he, he, what, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Oh, what a savior. 
He comes before her helpless. And he says in Philippians, it says, have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. Listen, church, need is an occasion for relationship. And I wonder how much our rising loneliness is due to our rising economic and material independence. Materially wealthy, socially poor, relationally lonely, friendship, poverty, because we don't need anything. Do you see that? Jesus showed up in front of that woman without a bucket. Last week, I told a story about a shovel. Did anybody catch that story about a shovel? And somebody needed a shovel. I'm not going to tell you again why. You better ask somebody who was here last week, why did that guy need a shovel? And you're going to get a story. But God did some amazing stuff out of that lack of shovel. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself this week, you know what? That's not me. I've got three shovels sitting in my garage. And if I needed a fourth shovel, I would sooner get in my car, drive down to Home Depot, and spend the 25 bucks for a fourth shovel than walk across the street and ask my neighbor Doug if I could borrow his. And Doug's a great guy, and he's got a great shovel. Why is that? Why is it that I'm so independent? I'm so, I, I can't share my need. I'm not, I'm not going to go across and ask of anything from anyone around me. Look, this might feel like a rabbit trail, but it's not, friends. We are lonely because we don't need. We don't need each other. And giving and receiving and borrowing and lending and, and, and sharing and reciprocating, these are the things of relationship. And we don't need each other. And if we don't need each other, we're not going to go ask for anything from each other. And if I have a need, I'm sure not going to share that need with my neighbor who I don't know very well or that person with whom I disagree. I'm not going to show them that I need anything at all. Jesus, I want you to sit on this. I want you to think about this. Jesus showed up that day in front of that woman at that well without a bucket. Hey, can you help me? I'm thirsty. Church, where can you show up without a bucket? In front of that person who's on the other side of the aisle, who's on the other side of the issue, who's on the other side of the divide, the the class divide, the generational divide, the racial divide, whatever you want to pick, the gender divide, whatever divide is there, where can you show up without a bucket and let need be an occasion for relationship? Jesus showed up without a bucket. Well, Jesus did elevate the conversation back in verse 10, and he elevated it by using one word, the word God, God. Things change when you use that word. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, well, what is the gift of God? And who is it that stands in front of her? And what does it mean to have living water? Well, whatever the gift of God is, it's big. It's big. It's bigger than what divides. 
It's big enough to unite a Jewish rabbi man and a Samaritan socially isolated woman on that day. The gift of God. You see, because she wasn't just alone, she was lonely. She was lonely. And all the different ways that she was trying to cope with her gnawing feeling of loneliness and isolation, the pain of loneliness, all the different ways that she was trying to manage. You see how she's doing it? Keeping herself socially isolated, avoiding others, coming out at noon to get water when everyone else comes out in the cool of the day. And when she, when she does intersect with someone, making sure that her words are kind of push-off words. I mean, she's, she's dripping with sarcasm. I hope you can read that. You, know, you can see that. <laughs> Sir, you don't have anything to draw water with. Sir, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Sir, how are you going to pull this water out of the well? Are you better than Jacob, who made the well and who served us from the well? See, she's pushing away with these sharp words and these sarcastic comments. I'm not going to let you close. I'm not going to let you in. You're not going to know me. Even if I have to talk to you, you're not going to know me. And all these ways that she's coping and managing with this gnawing and painful loneliness inside, Jesus knows. Jesus knows all those coping mechanisms they're never going to satisfy. For Jesus answered, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water be thirsty again. Be thirsty again. What she knew and what she needed, what she needed to understand was that she was lonely in church, that's where I want to leave you today. That's where I want to leave you. What a horribly mean pastor I am, <laughs> really. But as we start on this journey to belong, you've got to recognize there's loneliness. There's loneliness. And I know you feel it. I feel it. And you can certainly sense it in the water. People are lonely, friends. They're lonely. They're hurting. COVID has made it worse. We weren't made to be alone. We were made to be together. We were made to gather up. And that loneliness, it's never going to go away until someone actually comes home to Jesus. And so we need to feel that, that loneliness, that isolation, the, what it feels to be lonely in different places of our lives. And maybe you're not feeling clinically lonely, but I know you're feeling it, every one of us. And if you are feeling clinically lonely. I mean, if you're feeling a burden that's just beyond all scope, I want you to reach out. I want you to call. I want you to call us. Let us connect you with someone who will come to you and get down in that well with you until you can walk your way out. Because you're not made to be alone. You're not made to be alone. God has something better planned. I'll leave you with this picture one of the most uh, effective ad campaigns right now is for VRBO, vacation rental, you know. And what do they say? Do you see that? You know, say that together, church. Your together awaits. You say that right now to our world, that's enough to spend a little money on a VRBO, isn't it? Your together awaits. This is a lonely world, and people are ripped apart and divided. Jesus has better planned. Your together awaits. You were made and you're invited to belong.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us, that you break into those places of loneliness. We thank you that you know everything that it is to be alone and separated. And you know the way home from there. Lord, penetrate through these barriers, these dividing walls that rip us apart and only leave us feeling more isolated, more painful, more alone. Lord Jesus, tear them down as you have torn them down by your blood. Unite us with others. Unite us with you. Bring our hearts to a place where we have the courage to be real and to be vulnerable and to belong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.